This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode contains spoilers from Sayonara Wild Hearts and includes mentions of characters from the worlds of Sarah J. Mass, Sailor Moon, and Mario. For full list, please see show notes. and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And, and I'm today, Sam. No. No. <laughs> no. And today we are welcoming a very special guest and our friend, Sam. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Our friend, is that what you think of me? <laughs> I told you that's my, what we're going to work on. <laughs> the love of my life. I'm keeping all of this. I hope you know. You can record it's anything like... else you want, but this is the best intro that we could possibly have done. <laughs> we were trying to be professional. We are trying to be very professional um, because we do not want it to seem as if uh, you did not have to do the work to get onto the podcast and to get this episode made. You absolutely did. Oh, I did a ton of work. I played a video game for like six, ten hours really hard. And then you made us play the game before the pitch. It was very Shark Tank of you. It was a <laughs> lot of work to watch Jess play that game, I gotta say. It, it really taxed me. Well, not just watch. Like, you also helped play for me because I, I was losing I hard. had to step in at some points. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for introducing what we will be talking about. We are talking about a very special video game that Sam did do the work on, did pitch to the podcast, and uh, really, when I say did the work, made us play this game and then uh, helped us draw our own conclusions and then turn those conclusions into a successful pitch to get this episode made. So Sam, what are we talking about? So the video game we're talking about today is called Sayonara Wild Hearts. It was released in September 2019, initially on Nintendo Switch, PS4, and Apple Arcade, um, which is, uh, those are all still ways you can play it. Later it was released for Windows and Xbox. It is what it says on the tin or the online store page, if that's how you buy it, a pop album video game. It's about the length of a pop album. I finished it in 54 minutes. If you're Jess, it'll take probably three or four hours. (laughs) Took two. It's studio, the studio that released it called Simogo, uh, which is, I think, a Swedish studio. They call it a pop album video game about being awesome, riding motorcycles, skateboarding, dance battling, shooting lasers, wielding swords, and breaking hearts at 200 miles per hour. It's a dreamy trip through a bisexual color palette, synthwave world of blues, purples, and pinks that you traverse with motorcycles, a big old 70s style luxury sedan convertible, and even a deer. It's a rhythm game that's only maybe 10% rhythm game. It's a 3D arcade racer on rails that you control with a single joystick and a single button. And most importantly, it's a deeply sweet story about love, pain, and forgiveness. And just just starting us off here, Sam, is this the type of video game that you have usually played? Not really. 
you know, when I first started playing video games, it was back in the day, we, uh, we got a Sega Genesis, and um, my brother and I would play Sonic the Hedgehog, other sort of 2D platformers. Um, later, got an N64, played a ton of uh, Ocarina of Time and Perfect Dark, which is uh, basically Goldeneye, but better in every single way. After that, we've played Switch, GameCube, the Wii, just generally a whole bunch of different games, but uh, I've never really played a game like Sayonara Wild Hearts before, for sure. So how did you get drawn into this particular game? Like, what about it drew you to it? Honestly, I heard about it on some of the Apple-focused podcasts that I listened to, because it, when it was released, it was an immediate hit on Apple Arcade, and it got nominated for all sorts of awards. And if you're not familiar with this, Apple Arcade is a service you can subscribe to for $5 a month, or... I promise I'm not advertising this, just trying to give the facts. $5 a month, or it can be included in a, a different Apple subscription that you have, maybe. And uh, I remember hearing about it because it was an instant success. People were just gushing about it, and that kind of stuck in the back of my head. Uh, but I didn't have Apple Arcade at the time. Uh, eventually, I went on a, a long plane trip, and so I subscribed to Apple Arcade. And this was one of the games that I downloaded, and it was just absolutely incredible in every way. Sam, correct me if I'm wrong. This is the game that you played on your iPad on the airplane. Is that right? I did, yes. And it's not the ideal way to play it for sure. You, you do want to play with a controller or at least like in a place where you have the room to spread out. Because on the iPad, um, it basically involves moving side to side on a constantly moving background. But the input method with the iPad, of course, is just swiping. And so I had to swipe, 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 swipe. And it was, it was really intense and... I'm sure it made me look like an insane person to the people sitting near me. How many times would you say you've played this game? Because it's definitely one of those that you can play on different levels. Um, and then you always want to go back and improve. And you could also kind of pick it up whenever you want because you play it so quickly. Totally. Yeah. I think I've probably played it through four or five times at this point. Okay. It has, I think, five different levels that each have sort of stages within them. And uh, at the end of each level, you there's a big boss fight. But you can also play it after you, after you defeat it the first time. You can play through it straight up, uh, where there's no pausing in between levels. I mean, you can always pause it. But it doesn't ever kick you back to, like, a main screen. It just smoothly transitions from one level to another. And that's called album arcade mode. And it, it really is just, aside from the loading screens, it's just like you were listening to the album itself. If you listen to podcasts at faster than normal speed... You're going to want to set this one to play at 1x. While I like voice-only podcasts at like 1.5x, music gets really messed up. So just go ahead and set this one to 1x. So we're kind of talking about the game a little bit in, in like abstract. How about a little bit more in detail? What is this game about? And what is it about the story that made you think that it was a good fit for the podcast? Sure. So it starts off with uh, the narrator, who is a, a very famous actress, rapper. Queen. Queen Latifah. She begins by narrating, Not long ago, in a town much like yours, there was a young woman who was very happy. Until one day, her heart broke so violently that her sorrow echoed through space and time. So our saga begins tonight, yet eons ago. Just here, yet light years away. The narration continues after the, the start screen. Long ago, a harmonious universe existed beyond ours, and three divine arcana watched over it. Now, if you're not familiar, the arcana, these are tarot cards. 
the three divine arcana they're referring to here are the High Priestess, the Empress, and the Hierophant, also known as the High Priest. Tarot is a huge theme throughout Sayonara Wild Hearts, as you might guess. Uh, I'm personally not into all that, so I did some cursory browsing around to figure out what the sort of standard meanings of the different cards and arcana that we are going to meet, figure out what those are. But I'm, I'm sure I'll get some stuff wrong, so if you're big into this, don't put a hex on me or anything. We'd love for you to, to comment anything I got wrong, anything that I missed. Maybe you can even play the game yourself and give your own interpretations. That would be really cool. So all that said, I will continue. One night, a cursed Arcanum intersected the astral highways, and along with her star-crossed allies, they stole all harmony and hid it in their vile hearts. Before the divine trio started to fade, they created a heroine from the shards of a broken heart and hoped that she would one day be strong enough to save their world. And at this point in the, in the game, this is still a cutscene, our hero is asleep in her bed and a fairy comes in through her window and wakes her up uh, and she follows the fairy as her world gets turned upside down. She falls out of her window and she falls into a super cool, very dreamlike landscape uh, where there's just a track. She's longboarding down the track and uh, she's following the fairy. I don't know. Something that really stuck out even from the beginning is I know that there are, are main character starts off in bed, but it's just really this beautiful journey um, through heartbreak and mental health because you're, I, I rewatched a playback today and you're like, she's probably depressed. She's depressed as hell. And all of a sudden there's something, this energy, this fairy kind of leading this person to be like, hey, we can use your help in this alternative universe. Join us, shall you? And she's like, well, I got nothing else going on and I'm miserable, so it can't get much worse than this. Yeah, that's so right. Going back to the three divine arcana, again, those were the high priestess, the empress, and the hierophant or high, high priest. The high priestess represents internal wisdom as well as the confluence of instincts and intellect to determine one's actions. These descriptions are from the fandom wiki for this, which is great. Uh, the empress represents creativity, caring, and the ability to see the wonder and beauty intrinsic in the world. And the hierophant education, self-awareness, and understanding of the esoteric or obscure. And these are all things that our hero loses as her heart breaks and she falls away. She becomes a shell of herself. She's misanthropic. She's depressed. And as you said, Jess, one day the fairy comes in and begins to lead her out of it. And that journey that she goes on is the game. And the, I want to say the uh, level design for all of these these levels is absolutely beautiful. Uh, Sam, you mentioned the colors when you were talking about the game a little bit earlier, but I remember playing this the first time and I was shocked at the creativity of every single level and the way that very simple controls didn't take away from anything. I was still very focused on everything that I was doing and I died a lot, obviously. Uh, but there are like visual indicators that tell you where to hit the buttons. And I thought that was very creative and very helpful. And some of the later levels are things that I would never imagine in my wildest dreams. So this this game is absolutely phenomenal um, from my perspective. Um, Sam, at what point did you think that this would be a good game for the podcast? Honestly, I didn't really think it would be, or I didn't think it wouldn't be. I didn't think about 
the podcast and this game intersecting at all. Uh, until a few months ago, Laura came to me and said, hey, for your birthday, would you like to do an episode on anything? And I was obsessed with Sayonara Wild Hearts at the, at the moment. And so I said it without really thinking. And then I realized exactly how perfect it would be. Um, and as we, as we go through the game and go through the plot, I'm sure the, uh, the reason I thought all that would, will become apparent. Take us through the plot. So that first level that you land on, you're longboarding down this track. It's uh, Debussy's uh, Claire de Lune is playing. Beautiful, very dreamy kind of track. And it fits with the hero having been woken up in her bed. As Laura said, at this point, there's never an on-screen dialogue explaining what button to hit, which direction to go. As I said, it's just one stick, one button. And so you're following the fairy. The fairy goes left to right. It leads you to collect hearts. As you get hearts, you get points. There are other things that you collect, little diamonds that give you extra points. The more hearts you collect, you get kind of an exponential growth of your points. But, you know, if, if you miss hearts, it's not a big deal. In this first level, there is no dying. You're just, you're on rails. Uh, you go left to right, you get the hearts. Uh, it's very, very chill. And it's just getting you used to the basics of the game. At the end of this level, our hero reaches out to get the fairy, but misses. She falls off the track, and she lands on a tarot card, The Fool. And she is transformed into The Fool, a spectacular outfit that's got sort of a sweater, and she's wearing a bandana around her neck, and she has a mask on, and uh, she is The Fool, the tarot card. And the transformations are very Sailor Moon-esque. Uh, so the first level, as I said, there are five levels. These are the, the five cursed arcana that disrupt the universe. The first one is the devil, which, uh, according to AstroTalk, is the, the website that I went to for all these sort of tarot interpretations. There's a sense of being constrained by external forces or circumstances that are out of your control, leaving you feeling helpless and victimized. You're making bad decisions out of stress, and you may be getting yourself into more trouble than you need to. So there's always a first level called Heartbreak uh, at the beginning of each of these. Uh, and after Heartbreak, you land into the actual world of this devil level. It's called Hate Hell Valley, which is a little bit on the nose. But all the locations in this game have that kind of aspect to them. It's a city that's sort of San Francisco inspired. There are trolley cars around. There are really steep hills. Um, so kind of San Francisco vibes. Uh, and you land onto the Wheel of Fortune card, which transforms into a motorcycle. And so you're, as opposed to this, the previous levels where you've been uh, watching our hero, the Fool, uh, from a third-person perspective, at this one, it's still third-person, but you're right on her helmet, pretty much, or where her helmet would be. It's a much more first-person perspective. It really gives a sense of speed as you go through these roads that are populated with cars and trolleys and and of course, uh, the people we meet at the end of this level, the Dancing Devils. The next stage starts with a big dance battle, which is where the first a kind of rhythm component of this game comes in. Uh, a rhythm game is one where there's music and you need to tap or press a button or, in the case of like Guitar Hero, like strum a fake guitar, that sort of thing. Sayonara Wild Hearts is the most forgiving rhythm game that I've ever played. Because if you are too late, it'll just pause and wait for you to press the button. And if you press too early, you just don't get as many points for it. It doesn't, like, start over the level or anything. Not to say that it's easy. It's not easy. No, and even, like, there's a part, like, there's certain parts throughout the game where you'll need to press a button multiple times. 
the screen basically yells at you, like, press it, press it now, and press it a lot of times, but you're not dying in the game either. It's just like, come on, let's get on with the process. we got to keep you moving. Exactly. I think the best word for it is forgiving, and that actually is a, a pretty important concept in this game. This stage is called Fighting Hearts. As I said, it starts with a dance battle, and then eventually you're, you're chasing the dancing devils through San Francisco, um, and it's all very fun and very, very fast feeling. And I think it's important to note that at this point, the dancing devil is just like a group of females. And I mean, I know when Laura and I first started playing, we were like, what's the I mean, and if you've been following with the podcast, you know, we're like, what's with the female portrayal? What's with the girl on girl crime? Um, but Sam was very much like, just just trust the process. The The last stage of the dancing devils level is called Begin Again. And uh, the last stage of all of these levels has a song with actual lyrics as opposed to just a really cool sort of electronic poppy beat. All the vocals in the game are by a singer-songwriter named Linnea Olson. And this first one is Begin Again, uh, which is also the name of the level. Uh, and it's basically a breakup song. It starts out with the lyrics, I can still recall trudging through the cold December snow. We didn't know that it was the end, that the saddest story ever told would unfold. might be able to tell that's just super fun the transitions there when the beat drops it's all a ton of fun laura is rocking out every single time she watches me play it and uh she's actually tolerant of watching me play it which is not true of, of all games but um the the music is just that good uh, i am tolerant to watching you play this because i have a problem with certain uh first person shooters which is a game that or a type of game that you have a tendency to play a lot of. This is not that. And this reminds me very much um, of Asteroid that we played when we were a kid, or um, in, in some aspects, Tetris. So I very much enjoy watching this game. And of course, the visuals and music are absolutely beautiful. And Sam's really good at it. So you're not just like getting frustrated. You're just casually wa like you're watching a pro. And, like, he might as well just do the demo because, like, that's what it feels like you're watching. Everything's perfect. Well, and that's a really good point that you bring up, Jess, too, because, uh, Sam, as you said, this game is very forgiving. It is in every aspect, except that the music will rewind and replay. So if you are constantly dying in the same part, you have to hear the same part of the song and all you want to do is move on. So it is extra motivation. Uh, but I would say that's the only like consequence to you dying <laughs> is having to hear uh, the last like 10 seconds of a song over and over and over but something cool if you die too many times in the same spot a screen will come up where the magician card offers to just sort of transport you past that part of the level to the next part it's a very nice thing for the game to offer that really pissed me off the first time i saw it uh, <laughs> because it just made me more frustrated but that's on me it's subjectively a nice thing for the game developers to to include there did it motivate you 
kind of like when you speak a foreign language and then you get English backed? Exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, or, or when we were whitewater rafting and I got flipped upside down and I just wanted to like go back and redo that section. <laughs> Same deal. This is all happening as we're fighting the dancing devils one by one on motorcycle back. But at some point the ground splits open and we pursue each of them in the air as opposed to just going left and right. Now it's 2D movement, so we're going left, right, up, and down uh, as we're pursuing them and still, of course, trying to collect hearts. Just a really, really fun level. At the end of this, you defeat them, of course. Of course, as, as you do. And we'll talk about what defeating them actually means at the end. What is, this is what, level, we're going on to level two now. What is level two? Heartbreak two level? Very nice. Um, and I will also include a link. So there are various uh, Spotify playlists. Uh, there's one. You will also <laughs> include a link. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm doing the show notes for this one. I don't know if you knew. <laughs> he doesn't trust us. <laughs> it's too important. Okay. And Laura just said you're friend. We're just friends. <laughs> yeah. We're just the professional acquaintances. I'm just the editor. <laughs> Level two, level two. All right, so heartbreak. level two, uh, it's, it starts off with Heartbreak 2. This is sort of the the moon sequence. Um, at the end of Heartbreak 2, you see the moon card. And so the moon, again, according to Astro Talk, apparently tarot cards, when they're dealt, they can be uh, upright or reversed, and they have different meanings, usually complementary meanings. Uh, the upright moon, quote, represents your worries and delusions that frequently appear when you imagine dread in the present and the future as a result of previous experiences. You may have experienced emotional anguish due to traumatic memory, and instead of dealing with the feelings, you repress them deep inside your subconscious. These feelings are now resurfacing. Uh, it has connotations of bad dreams and insomnia. When it's reversed, uh, the, the bad effects of these delusions, anxieties, and worry are finally starting to fade. You're overcoming your concerns and fears while also learning how to break free from such restrictive ideas and how they affect your life. So that's what we're hoping for our hero, of course. Of course. So Heartbreak 2, as all the heartbreaks, it's um, kind of just a trippy, dreamlike sequence. The next stage is Forest Ghost. Do y'all remember anything about Forest Ghost? I do. I, it's called the Whoa Whoa Woods level, and this is where the stag comes into play. And I know that is a tarot card, but the first time we played it, I think my first reaction was, Aelin, we're in Terrison! And this is kind of where a lot of... Um, book connotations from SJM universe kind of helped uh, like me piece together kind of the underlying tones of the story of heartbreak and things that you're overcoming um, throughout the process of this game. Very cool. I think I ran into a lot of trees here. Yes. So you are writing a, um, I, my first notes were you're writing a cool deer through a forest. The deer is the emperor card. Uh, who represents determination, perseverance, courage, and control, both of oneself and one's circumstances. Aelin. It is really hard not to die in this level. There are trees everywhere, but as long as you persevere, as long as you have control of yourself, you can control your circumstances, uh, and eventually you make it to the end of the level where you meet the Howling Moons. Which is Tamlin and Lucian in their masks. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's how I re we remembered it. I won't disagree with you. <laughs> You don't have to. The audience will. Exactly. Uh, more directly, they are uh, a group of, f I think, four women in sort of doggy masks. 
and they are standing together threateningly on their motorcycles and they howl at the moon. Uh, we move into the next stage, which is called Forest Dub. The, the howling moons drug you somehow. They kind of blow some sort of power at you. You're still on motorcycles at this point. You're not going back to the deer. You're on your motorcycle again. And uh, you're jumping on mushrooms at one point. You're going on bridges. You're dodging trees. But at some point, you have to jump on mushrooms. And my, my note here was that Jess had a lot of trouble on this area. Jess, do you remember the mushrooms? Yeah, because I also don't pass that level in Mario, too. So oh. I probably handed you... And I think the first time I did what you usually, which you said, oh, you know, you can you can skip. And I was like, no. And then I got to I think this is the first time I handed the controller over to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I should mention the magician card, the one that offers to help you skip. You can turn that off. And so I, I did immediately turn that off both for myself and for Jess's playthrough for Jess, because I knew I could just step in and, and do it. But I wanted her to see the whole thing. Because he's a professional. Exactly. He's a professional in everything he does. I should have been wearing my professional audio engineer shirt that <laughs> Laura Marie and Jessica Marie got me as friends. <laughs> and colleagues. Yeah. So after this, we hit the end of the level and the howling moons howl at the moon again. And they turn into robo wolves, which is kind of a, a crazy transition. This is the first time we've seen something that I wouldn't say supernatural, but that dreamlike, right? Something that wouldn't happen in the real world at all. Um, maybe not the first time, but it is, it's the most surprising so far. We go to the next stage, Laser Love, where the Judgment and Justice cards um, fall down and they turn into machine guns on the side of your motorcycle. And the wolves are sort of racing ahead of you and they're dropping bombs and you have to go side to side and dodge the bombs and or blow them up with your machine gun, which is really cool. Very chaotic. Yeah, my note here is like Galaga on acid. Oh, I was going to say Sonic when he's like constantly rolling and Robotnik is throwing stuff, but you're still trying to get to him under the big machine. Yes, also a very good analogy. Uh, eventually you do get to the end and uh, then we transition to the final stage of the level Dead of Night, where again, we have lyrics in the song. This is my favorite level. Yeah. I think it's because it's the only one that I, I was really good at. Okay, sure. I mean, that's as good a reason as any. Laura, do you remember this level? Not offhand. Okay, you will. The song starts with, Can you tell? Does it show? I'm alone in a city of ghosts. I wake to the howling sirens. I don't know where to start in the search of the beat of your heart. Can you tell? I'm not going to play that part. Oh, the song's so good. I was like, ready. I know. The song's so good. I think it's like, I was good at this level. The song is good. I think that it's just like a good culmination of why I liked it. It's got everything. Yeah, so that rules. The howling moons jump up into the sky, and when the beat drops, they come back down as this huge mecha wolf. It's shocking every time. It's so cool to see. Uh, in case you missed the lyrics, it's, What is left when you're not around? I have nowhere to go. Shake the pain. Break away. Leave it all behind. With a hint of dawn, I'm already gone. Staring with empty eyes, looking right through me. Perfectly void of life. Lovers like zombies. So I think we can say our hero is not doing great. 
emotionally at this point. I'm the only one alive in the dead of night. Uh, it's very reflective of the themes of the moon, of trauma and delusion and insomnia. That got so much deeper with that context than I anticipated. Same here. There's another cool mechanic here where the wolves are dropping sort of, I don't even know what they are. They're like spools of something and you have to dodge them. They're also shooting lasers. But the hearts that you're trying to collect this entire time, there are sort of two levels of hearts. There's little hearts and there's big like hollow hearts. And it's always good to get the big hearts, as you might guess. You get more points. If you move the character side to side to get the big hearts, you end up avoiding the lasers and the spools or whatever. So this is another very subtle thing in the game where it's, it's telling you what to do uh, without actually telling you what to do. So we defeat the, the Mecha Wolf and we move on to the Lovers stage, Heartbreak 3, which is the Tower of Lovers. It's a spiraling upward track where you have to dodge huge wheels that are rolling down it. Eventually it transitions to a sort of 2D vertical scroller. But I should talk about what the Lovers represent. Again, according to AstroTalk, you feel internal strife within yourself. You have to concentrate on defining your personal belief systems and values. It can denote soul and respect. Do you accept and cherish who you are and the value you contribute to the world? It's a signal from the universe that you must refrain from blaming anything around you as whatever you are facing is a repercussion of your previous deeds and actions. Interesting. Which I think is a good... Um, like it, it segues right into the whole continuous theme of how you're going through each level despite the obstacles that life is throwing at you and throwing at the heroine here. Very true. Yeah, like you you are feeling all of these things and you are in this emotional state, but you are actively working through it with all these levels. You are doing the work. Exactly. Looking through these tarot cards, the devil has what appear to me to be pretty negative connotations, both upright and reversed. But the rest of these very often has a negative connotation when it's one way. And then when it's the other way, that represents that you're starting to do what you need to move beyond it, essentially. And so when, when we get to the end game, it's sort of like we transition to the other way around. Don't, don't spoil the ending. That's a tease. That's not a spoiler. That's a tease. As someone very spoiler sensitive, I'm qualified to make these judgments. Okay, so we go from there to the level Hearts and Swords, which is set in Twilight Cry Sky. Again, you're on your motorcycle. It's a very low third-person view as you have to hit pinball bumpers that turn you. It's very chaotic. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're basically going right towards a wall. And you get the star sword. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm going to keep throwing in some book references here. We get the star sword. <laughs> Absolutely do. I didn't even know that was a reference, but it is a sword. It's got a big star. It's also very Sailor Moon. This was the point. I, I think Laura might have been in the other room at this point. And I paused it and brought her in to show her, like, isn't that so Sailor Moon? And she said, it really is. So that's at the end in sort of the middle of the level. We meet the antagonist. She's wearing this mask that's split down the middle, black and white. It's very yin and yang. She throws the sorcerer card at us that turns into the star sword which I have in my notes, it just says turns into a rad sword, which is also true. <laughs> At the end of the level, we have a sword fight. There's a rhythm aspect to this. In these rhythm parts, it's basically showing an icon, and it's got concentric rings around it. And when the rings hit the icon, 
that's when you have to hit the button if you want a perfect score on that. And when I say the, these rings, these buttons, these icons, all of these things are neon, they're pink, they're purple, they're blue. Everything is incredibly like vibrant and colorful and really beautiful and a visual treat. Yeah, and I think maybe what we'll do in the show notes is the like the viewing link that we watched or whatever also so people if if it's nice to just like have on the background or if you just kind of want to vibe out and chill however you want to and see after watching it you're like oh i could play this oh i could do this totally yeah we should have plenty of links with like playthroughs and i'll probably even use some album art within the podcast so if you're using a good podcast client then you should be able to look at your phone or whatever right now and it'll show you a picture of the the rad sword that we use to cut our antagonist into two different people they're wearing black and white masks and these are introduced as the stereo lovers sam is this one of the hardest levels for you yes this next one is one of the hardest levels it was nearly impossible swiping on my ipad on that on the plane but it is one of the highlights of the game and with a controller it's just absolutely mind-bending. Uh, Jess, do you remember this one? Yeah, it's the one that I almost threw the controller and then I just aggressively handed it over to you. Um, it's kind of like how Sam said previously, at the end of the previous level, there is an antagonist that the main character is fighting and that main character is split into two, the yin and yang. And think of it as this as you transition into this next level, they're giving you two, I want to say like maps, but that's not what I'm thinking of. Like two, you're getting two worlds at the same time that are the opposite of each other. And you're trying to navigate it. Once you pick up, like it's, it's a pop music album game. So you're trying to figure out the rhythm, the timing and seeing how your position will switch on the course of this level. So you're not dying, basically. (laughs) Exactly. This level, I don't know if I mentioned it, it's called Parallel Universes. So yeah, the way you described it as two different worlds is exactly right. And uh, I'll just play a little bit of the, the intro music here. So at each of those- Triggering. Snap sounds, the antagonists are actually snapping. And whenever they snap, it transitions from one universe to the other. And again, I think you're on your motorcycle in this one. Yeah. Whenever they snap, the level changes and the highway that you were riding on is now different, right? So where there was no obstacle in front of you, maybe now there is an obstacle. Where you were following a trail of hearts, now the hearts are on the other side of the road. Um, And so you have to really think ahead and kind of Maintain both universes in your mind. And as you switch to one universe, okay, I'm going to the right side of the road now to get those hearts. But when they snap, I need to go right back over to the left side of the road to get those hearts. Um, and also to avoid the the wall that's coming up in front of me. It's really, really hard, again, especially if you're swiping on an iPad, but even if you're not, just the, the sort of mental effort required to keep the two of them in your head at the same time is, is really cool. But like all great games, it makes you start to feel like a genius once you do get the hang of it. Sometimes you recognize that a pattern is developing so that you don't even really need to think about it too much. You just go in one direction and then the other. And then as you have developed this skill yourself, eventually the fool learns to snap between universes herself. 
And so they're all three sort of snapping between universes together. Really, really great level. One of the best levels of, of any game, in my opinion. Absolutely. I would say one of the more creative levels that I have ever seen. Uh, the most creative level that I have ever seen, I believe, is at the end of this game. But I'm very excited to talk about it. Uh, what is the next level? The final stage of this level, Mine. Uh, it's a song about possessiveness. I think this is the f- it, go ahead oh i was gonna say it reminds me of passion pit it's like this indie band um mm-hmm. from forever ago but it's just now that i'm realizing sam that you're bringing it up that every song at the last level of each stage is a song with lyrics that ties into where the main character is in the healing journey and i didn't realize that till now exactly yeah and, and some of them tie in with the tarot themes. This one is the first one that doesn't. I've never really been good at like finding deeper meaning in things, so maybe there's something I'm missing. But it, it doesn't really fit in with the themes of Welcome to internal the strife. And Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a very literal person. So it doesn't really fit with the tarot themes, but it, it does fit well with the, the sort of thing that, that might lead to you know contention within a relationship, could lead to a relationship breaking down, could lead to a relationship never getting off the ground. If you, um, you know, you've, I've laid my eyes on you, a glistening piece so sparkling new. I never want what I can't own. You'll be mine and mine alone. Like slow roll a little bit. The level itself is fantastic. The stereo lovers have giant swords that they swing at you and they crush the highway in front of you. You're fighting them off with rhythm beats. Eventually the swords rain down and beat with the music and you're dodging them. And it's, it's very chaotic, but as you get through it, you end up defeating them. Of course. Of course. So from there, we go to the Hermit stage. The Hermit is a tarot card where when it's upright, it means take some time to be alone and rediscover who you are. Your deepest sense of truth and wisdom is within yourself, not in the distractions around you. When it's reversed, maybe you've overdone it a little bit. It was good to take some time for yourself and reflect, but now you need to get back out there. Debatable. (laughs) Uh, So we go, after the heartbreak level, we go to Night Drift, where you are in a big Cadillac-looking car, which is the the chariot card. Uh, You're in the Desert of Doubts, sort of an outskirts of Las Vegas kind of vibe for this one for me. Do you all remember this level? I do, yes. Uh, Does the rearview mirror play a part in this? Not that I remember. No, I swear it does. Isn't it near the end? Because the way I saw it is like you're in a car... You're cruising, you're going through the healing journey, you're on your next adventure, and then towards the end of this level, there's the person with the VR thing or the rearview mirror. Like, that is another level that's very much like, what was that game in the 80s? Like, Invader something? Like Space Invaders? Yeah, that's kind of what that um, that next level at the end of this one reminds me of. Exactly, yeah. As you said, we meet someone at the end. This is Hermit 64, sort of in allusion to the the games of our youth. Hermit 64 is wearing, as you said, a set of VR goggles. And she somehow turns you into a game cartridge and sticks you in the side of the VR headset. 
the VR headset being the World Tarot card. I'm sure that means something. This is a wireframe level, so none of the walls are opaque or anything. You just see the lines that denote where walls are. Same with the hearts, they're all just heart outlines. And it's first person. This is, the I think, the first first person level that we have. You are going left, right, up, and down, trying to get these hearts and avoid walls, and the walls are moving around. At some point, the world starts rotating around, and we need to dodge a barrier as the world is rotating, and that adds a little extra sizzle to this level. Jess, as you said, it's very reminiscent of old-school Game Boy games, almost. Just very, very simple graphics. Really a lot of fun. It's also a very chill musical experience. Very slow level, as opposed to all of the levels that we've done so far, uh, where you're going fast, fast, fast all the time. This is very slow. So it's a nice little bridge, in a way. Do you think that's intentional? The journey through the Desert of Doubts is a slow... I think it is. Right? With all of your your tarot, all of this here, it's a slow kind of slog through that on to get sure. to the other side. Could definitely see that. Yeah. We can, we, can, we can think big thoughts here. After you finish that level, we transition to the last stage, uh, which again has lyrics. The song is The World We Knew. So the entire song is like that. There's never a big drop and it transitions to a fast beat. It's just, it's very relaxing music-wise. The level itself, it's 2D. You're going left, right, up, down. Uh, You're dodging. um, Some ships are coming at you. It's like you said, just space invaders in, in some places where it's sort of vertical stuff coming down at you. In other points, it's more like asteroids where it is a full 2D range of motion where you have to go maybe like to the sort of northeast of the screen to avoid stuff that's happening down at the southwest. You're chasing hearts, you're avoiding snakes, you're avoiding ships that are firing at you. At some point, the fool starts firing herself. You're just piloting a big wireframe depiction of her head, and she starts to fire back. The song calls back to that first lyrical song again, Begin Again. There are a few lyrics that reference that song again. And sometimes you actually, the game like zooms out somehow. And so you're not just looking at the video game level, but you see the outside of the headset with Hermit 64's face, which I thought was a really cool touch. This is the most creative game level that I have ever seen in my life. It is absolutely astonishing to see uh, the point that Sam's talking about where they zoom out. You can see the, the level and I believe like the neck and like kind of shoulders too at some point. Everything is, you know, neon pink and purple and blue And it is a visual just feast, but it is so creative because the head is also like kind of moving around a little bit. So you have to stay focused on what's happening inside the like headset goggles. It is astonishing and something that even if you don't play the game, watching this level is something that uh, will change the way I think that people would think about uh, video games, because this is an arcade type video game. I don't know if that has been mentioned previously. 
Yeah, and just the way it transitions among different sort of arcade styles is really, really cool. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Ah, I, lo- I love it. I, I love this level. I, I couldn't do this level. Is this your favorite level, Laura? Yeah, but I, I can't play this level. It's <laughs> There's just too much going on for me to like really focus. And, and I do think that's something to be said as well. Um, there is a lot going on in a lot of these different levels um, visually and you have to do a lot. So if you are prone to like light sensitivity or like seizures or something, this is not the game for you. Yeah, that's, that's probably a good thing to mention. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Okay, so after this level, we go to Heartbreak again. Uh, we're a ship. There's like a rolling ocean. We're avoiding whirlpools. Um, it's kind of hard to control the ship. Uh, that might be metaphorical for something. I'm not sure. This is the Ocean of Death. There is the star tarot card that shows up. At the end of the level, we hit the death card. So uh, reversed, the death card can indicate that you're about to go through a significant transformation, but you're rejecting it. You could find it challenging to let go, or you might need help with how to implement the necessary adjustment. You still hold negative perspectives from history that might obstruct a fresh chance. When it's upright, the death card represents the end of a significant phase or element of your existence that you recognize as no longer functioning after pausing and reflecting with the Hanged Man card, allowing room for something far more precious and important. Any change in your life should be embraced as a beneficial, purifying, transformative force. Wow, that's that's very deep. That is very deep for right here. Yeah, and there are sort of reflections of this throughout the level. We start with Transonic Gravity. This stage, we meet Little Death, this character who I described in my notes as Little Lady Fauntleroy-looking ass. She's just a little girl, seemingly, page boy haircut, very old-fashioned blouse, but still somehow threatening. Uh, we're in Love Dead City for this. Uh, we're on motorcycles. You have to hit sort of fence post-looking things, that are like these vertical things sticking up out of the track. And when you do that, it flips the track over. And so if you want to get all the, the hearts, you need to hit the right ones at the right point so you can get the, the hearts that were on the ceiling, flips over, now you're, you're driving on it. The pinball bumpers show up again where you have to hit them. It turns you 90 degrees. At the end of this, the uh, Little Death throws the Hanged Man card and a hole opens up and flying skulls come out of it. These flying skulls are the hate skulls from the name of the next level. Do you all remember anything about these levels? I don't know. I'm drawing a blank on this one. Oh, I have that. It, the skulls had bat wings. Our, fa- our, our, main, our heroine main character is in her favorite Archeron uh, era with her bow and arrow, and we meet the surreal at the end because ah! they have a skull mask and a scythe. I'm telling you, I drew it all back to like SJM this whole game. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> we start with the temperance card, which, as you said, becomes an archer's bow. Um, this is the hate skulls level. And so um, in this level, she's in her Archeron era, you said? Yeah. You're moving the reticle around the screen to target the skulls, which are flying all around. You target a few of them, and then once you stop targeting for a second or two, the fool fires and destroys the skulls. The more you get in a single go, the bigger points you get. There are some segments where it's like a low angle, just shooting like you were in the wolf level just shooting out of your motorcycle, and then you go back to the bow and arrow. If anyone has played Res, this has been compared a lot to the PS2 game Res. I never did, but yeah, it's that same mechanic where there's this reticle that you control that goes around the screen, it targets things, and then fires for you. 
So again, this is a shooty level, but it's not a shooter, if that makes any sense. Um, you really are just targeting things and then the firing happens automatically. So it's, it's pretty gentle, except for all the, you know, still having to dodge stuff and it's, it's chaotic as before. So the last, the second to last level here, this is a, a pretty special level, the death level, where we have two stages at the end that both have lyrics. Uh, the first one is called Inside. To me, this song is all about the beginning of a new relationship where you're infatuated. You just want to talk for hours and hours, no matter how late it goes. I never realized the lyrics, like how, um, one, that some of the songs had lyrics and at which point that they were being exposed in the game and then how significant the lyrics are to where we are at the game. Because we're at the tail end of this by now. Yeah, exactly. We're in the second to last stage of the game. So yeah, the lyrics all about new experiences, inside jokes together, getting tongue-tied around the person, and I'll play a little bit of it. I know we, we're going to get a copyright strike. That's that was like 28 <laughs> seconds. I don't want to go beyond that. And it's Charlie and it's milkshakes and it's Carly and it's heartbreaks. Those references are Charlie XCX and Carly Rae Jepsen, who were both cited by the developers as influences on the soundtrack. So cool. Right. Isn't that great? But the right words never come. It all comes out silly, dumb and all the things I need to say and all the big words seem to stay on the inside. As far as the level itself, the song is fantastic. This is one of the best songs. The level is one of the hardest levels. <laughs> Little Death drops the sun card. It turns into this crazy electro wheel where there's like lightning coming out of a central hub and the lightning is like spokes. It's rotating. The whole level is rotating and you have to find the like wedges of the wheel that you can get through safely without getting shocked and having to start over. The motorcycle is like riding on the inside of a tube. Moving the controller left and right rotates the tube. It's very trippy and disorienting. At the end of it, you punch a little death a few times, and eventually she pukes, and you ride her puke. It's pretty gross, but it fits in with the sort of theme of the death card, where any change in your life should be embraced as a beneficial, purifying, transformative force. You're passing and removing restricting elements, leading to a more fulfilling experience of life. You are expelling all of the negativity. Exactly. In the form of a vomit track that's kind of trippy, you're still rotating the level. At some point, you think you're done. You KO little death. You do the, the real fast taps, which happen at the end of all of these levels that I think Jess mentioned before. You collect her hearts, which is usually an indicator that level over, but suddenly she's back, she's pissed, and she's huge. She's this crazy monster with huge bat wings, and she's swiping at you, and she's firing lines of lightning. It's really hard. She's wearing this mask, and eventually you punch her mask, and it breaks, and it reveals this big cyclops eye, and if you've ever played a video game before, you know I'm going to have to destroy that eye. And eventually you actually destroy everything else and her eye is all that remains. And it's just kind of looking around all scared. Laura, do you remember me playing this level? Yes, I do. Uh, because every time you play this level, I am wondering, 
why she is fighting her inner child. Just your face. I didn't even know it was her inner child till just now. It's a very good interpretation. It's very insightful. Yeah. I can think of nothing else that it could possibly be. Yeah, because it's like a little like eight-year-old looking kid or something. Yeah, and it's at the last level, right? It's like the deepest part of you. It's the thing that you really have to heal in order to become who you're supposed to be, right, on this journey. Yeah, and maybe this is something like she's giving up on her foolish expectations. She's moving past any remaining immaturity that she has. She's being more realistic about what she wants and what she needs. We go on to the final stage, which is called Wild Hearts Never Die. The cover art for this one is our hero below the fool, and she's surrounded by Howling Moon, Hermit 64, Dancing Devil, and Stereo Lovers. It starts with all of those cards, the devil, the moon, the lovers, the hermit, and death, slamming into the screen, forming a pentacle around the eye. It all sort of circles around, and then you fall into the track. The eye is shooting a laser at you. Cards are falling onto the track, forming walls that you have to dodge. Uh, Eventually, the eye, for some reason, has swords and it's spinning around, and you have to go all the way to one side of the level and then all the way to the other side of the level. It's very chaotic, very frustrating. But the soundtrack for it absolutely slaps. This is called Wild Hearts Never Die. This is where our hero starts to become triumphant. Those lyrics, in case you didn't hear, come on, who are we fooling? This is not how it ends. This is not goodbye, because wild hearts never die. We're just changing our shape like butterflies, because wild hearts never die. After this level ends, it's very triumphant. One by one, the fool turns into the other antagonists. We replay the levels as before, but the other antagonists don't look like themselves. They look like our hero. And uh, she chases them and reaches them at the end of each chase. You do the very fast tap maneuver again, and the hero kisses our fool antagonist. And so I should say, we are actually playing as our hero now, not the fool, but our hero with her short hair and sweater, and she's on her longboard. As I said, the hero kisses the fool antagonist. She's, in my reading, she's realizing that these forces she thought were external forces were really negative emotions and self-thought that she had inside herself, and she's forgiving herself at a fundamental level. It's, it's really a game about love, not just romantic love lost, friendship love lost, but also you know, losing your, your self-confidence, losing love in yourself, and eventually learning to forgive yourself. And so just like the game is very forgiving with the player, we learn to be forgiving of ourselves as well. And I saw a quote that said that this is a lesbian Sonic the Hedgehog. It's got very strong queer vibes for sure. And the game creators did say that creating a game explicitly queer was not the intention. They just wanted to create a game that was inclusive uh, and different from the male-centric games that uh, were popular in the past. So at the end of the game, um, I remember when I was playing, I was like, wait, that's me. And you were just like, yeah, and? And then you realize that it was never um, like this girl on girl, female betrayal vibes. It was you 
fighting different versions of yourself. And like Sam had said, like accepting those different versions as well. Um, And there's so many different things that can play into that factor between forgiveness and loving and also realizing that who you were at the beginning of the game and after all of the trials and tribulations and obstacles that you continue to drudge through, you're also still a different person and you can still love the past version of you as well. Perfectly said. At some point, you turn into a dragon, and the narrator says, From the shards of your broken heart, the real heroine has risen. You have restored the lost harmony of our world. Now you must go and find harmony in your own Sayonara Wild Heart. You kiss the dragon, it turns into the fairy, and you're back in the Claire de Lune level. Not long ago, in a town much like yours, there was a young woman who fell out of love, asleep, away. For years she fell through spirals of sadness and anger until she could not fall any deeper and fell right back into her groove. Queen Latifah really puts a lot of sauce on into her groove there. It's, it's really great. The hero flies in through her skylight. She's playing the guitar. She has long hair for the first time in the game. I don't know if that means anything. It transitions into the last song, which is called A Place I Don't Know, which is a very nice sort of acoustic guitar piece as the credits roll. And that's Sayonara Wild Hearts. Now, Sam, I know firsthand that you have shared this game with a lot of different people since you have played it, and you have gotten uh, different responses from people. Uh, Do you think that your love for this game makes you see it in a different way? Or is there a reason that you think maybe other people haven't been as receptive as we were? They're wrong. Well, yeah, obviously. (laughs) Goes without saying. Yeah, I don't know why this hits so hard with me. It's really, as you were saying before, it's really not something I would typically play. I do listen to this kind of music a lot. This is very good, like, pump me up afternoon music, I think, for a lot of this. But yeah, I really have no clue why it, it hit me so hard. It like, honestly, it gives me chills in some points. I don't know. It's a, it just feels like a really important game. Do you have a favorite level or, or, or is it split where you're like, I have a favorite song, but I have a favorite level and they're not the same. Great question. My favorite level is definitely parallel universes. The ones where they're snapping and you're going between the different worlds. Such a flex to be like, Oh, no big deal. I just the love hardest the hardest level. <laughs> yeah. That song doesn't have lyrics. It's really cool. Uh, but the songs with the lyrics are the coolest for me. Um, I think probably either Inside or Wild Hearts Never Die. Uh, probably my two my two favorites, the two that play at the end. I want to talk a little bit about the sort of behind the scenes. I know sometimes y'all get into that with movie stuff. You would know. Exactly, yeah. So I'm going to link to a page on the Samogo website. This is the studio that made it where they, not their announcement, it's not when they first announced it, but it's when they were getting ready to publish it. They call it a suit made of pop culture. It's outrun the Teddy Girls subculture, Carly Rae Jepsen, Rez, Cafe Racers, WarioWare, Bloomkin, the 1950s, Modern Dance, Akira, F-Zero, Space Harrier, Sia, Gradius, the 1980s, Charlie XCX, Sailor Moon, Windan, Tron, Rhythm Tengoku, Punch-Out, and a good portion of ourselves, strangeness and mysticism stuffed into a blender. And I couldn't think of a better way to describe all the different influences that this game takes. Absolutely. That really sums it up. Uh, Tron uh, identified something that I had been lacking. 
that was like a missing piece uh, trying to describe this. So that was very helpful. The light cycles in Tron. Yeah. Very strong influence on the sort of moto battle uh, that a lot of the levels take. And the culmination of all of those things, as chaotic as the game can be, it's still so cohesive. It's so cohesive. Yeah, exactly. And as varied as all the levels are, they still all work together, I feel like. Samogo talks about they wanted a spectacular cinematic 3D action game, but they didn't want to go past the simple controls of the arcade machines of the past. There needs to be awesome action games without convoluted systems, a game that could be enjoyed equally by people who play video games all the time and people who have no interest or are even scared to play video games. We wanted that game to constantly throw new surprises at you without having to explain new control schemes, mechanics, or systems. As someone who's played a lot of video games, I might not be the best person to evaluate that, but what did y'all think about how well they were able to introduce new new mechanics without an explicit sort of like tutorial level? Uh, I personally thought it was a resounding success. The only thing that I think would detract from somebody not being able to pick this up quickly is if you have a light sensitivity and you are unable or colorblindness and you are unable to determine exactly um, what they're telling you to do uh, with with the lights and and buttons and things. I think um, that might present a challenge for somebody. But uh, for me, I I loved it. Yeah. And for me, like I know we have our video games episode, Laura, I think it's known that I'm not a huge video game person. It's really just kind of party games. And I think this is a perfect introduction if you um, are intimidated by video games or if you used to play when you were younger. Even though it's one player, when we played together, it was it still felt like a group activity. I mean, granted, yes, I handed off the remote a lot of times, but even if I didn't, like Laura said, like she can just enjoy the music. She can watch you play the game. Like I think that you're still kind of cheering each other on, whether you do it by yourself or you do it in a group, you're kind of excited for everybody to kind of partake in each level. Yeah. And I think it really is a fantastic group game because the the levels are basically the length of a song, right? They're three or four minutes long, depending on how many times you die, of course. If you're in a group, people can either switch off or like, you know, you just played parallel universes. I want to take a shot at it. You can just give the controller back. Um, if you're not playing on album arcade mode, you can't just go back to the, the previous level and do it. Like, see if um, see if I can get a better score than you. Uh, you can hand off when you're having trouble to someone else who might be able to take a shot. I think there's also still like a lot of intimidation when it comes to having games that are online with like... I say strangers for lack of a better world word, but you don't have that factor either. Like you don't have to be online. I mean, maybe if you have to download it that way, but that's also, I think, I know we talked about it in our previous episode for the gaming, um, that that is a big intimidation factor for people trying to be introduced back into gaming. And I just, I think it's a great starting point. And I also want to say that Queen Latifah, her contribution to this game as the narrator really does kind of 
bring everything together and really kind of solidifies everything because you are, you know, you're out, you're doing all these levels, everything is neon and fast and the music is like really pumping, everything's amazing. And then Queen Latifah kind of cuts through all of it and she, you know, gives you the story, she gives you what's going on and she kind of slows everything down. The music slows down when she talks and it and it gives you a very beautiful story that you are able to revisit um, because, Sam, as you said, uh, the game gives you options to play uh, different ways. So you can keep playing this game uh, forever. Yeah, pretty much. What I'm doing right now in the game is going back and trying to get, I think I mentioned there are these diamond bits that you can collect, three or four, something like that on each level. Um, Trying to get all of those, trying to maximize my score. So there are these different ranks that you can get. There's no rank, then bronze, silver, gold. So I'm trying to get gold rank on all of them, get all the diamonds. And then after that, there are these Zodiac riddles where it's kind of a a short sentence that cryptically or sometimes not so cryptically explains some kind of achievement that you need to get. And sometimes you won't even be trying. And then at the end of the level, it'll say you got the Dark Leo achievement. And so you go back and see what that was. So after I, I get gold on everything, then I'm going to try the, uh, I'm probably just going to look them up rather than trying to interpret and guess. Uh, because even once you know what they are, a lot of them are just really hard to accomplish anyway. So that'll be the challenge. Speaking of Queen Latifah, it's a pretty funny story about how she came to be involved. So Simon Flesser, one of the co-founders of Samogo, was talking with Nathan Gary from Annapurna Interactive, who's the publisher of this game, publishes a ton of great games. They're one of those publishers where whenever I see they're involved, I'm interested in the game, sight unseen. So they were talking, and uh, Simon jokingly suggested Queen Latifah as the narrator. He says he had just come back from the bar. He was kind of drunk. And then two weeks later, he gets a call from Annapurna saying, Queen Latifah will be available to record tomorrow. That's amazing. Well, and that's typically how it works, like, with people's availability. They're like, hey, can you do it tomorrow? If not, you're losing this. And people, you you rush around. Like, it's crazy on the back end of things. And you're either like, yes or no. And yep. usually it's yes when it's Queen Latifah. Of course, yeah. You're not going to say no to Queen Latifah. At some point, speaking of the musical artists involved here, before they even, I guess, like in the middle of when they were developing this game, they approached the vocalist, Linnea Olsen. She played at a record store near them. They said, hey, get in touch if you ever want to make music for a video game. And then a year later, they were starting to look for a vocalist for their first song of the game. And she emailed out of the blue saying, hey, let's do something. That was just kind of fate there. And yeah, as you've heard, her vocals on this game are so, so good. Apparently, the pop music was not the first thing that they developed. The first few games they did as a studio were kind of slow, story-based games. They wanted to do something really fast. And so they were just developing that. And then one day, Simon says, some energetic electric pop music was on in the background, and it matched up perfectly with the gameplay. And so that's how they decided to go that direction with it. And I think it works great. It does work great. It You can tell... Uh, the quality of this project is so high that you can tell that there was some sort of like meant to be aspect in it. It is just too good. Sam, do you have more points? That's everything I had. I'll link to a few media pieces on this um, about the soundtrack. Uh, Kotaku wrote Sayonara Wild Hearts original soundtrack is basically churches from a parallel universe, sorry, a parallel universe, which I thought was very funny. Did y'all have any, any other thoughts? 
Um, I was reading some articles about how this game could be kind of a reflection of, like I said earlier, like the queer journey or the journey of uh, a trans person. The I have one, two, three, four, five articles kind of kind of just talking about that and how uh, people will see themselves in this game and they haven't seen themselves in other games. Uh, the um, main character you know, has short hair and is not in revealing clothing. This is not like a, you know, bikini armor situation. It's not that at all. So it is very comforting. Uh, Family-friendly game that you can play no matter what, age-appropriate. Uh, very accessible to people, as we mentioned. So kind of just lovely all around on all fronts. And something I want to mention, something that I never would have picked up in my entire life had it not been for you, Sam, which is, upon reflection, shocking because this game fits the aesthetic, fits the vibe, fits everything for myself and the podcast. So thank you very much for bringing this to my attention, our attention, the pod's attention. Yeah, happy to. Thanks for having me on. Love talking about it. If any of y'all are interested in playing... Uh, As I said, it's available on pretty much all the video game platforms. One thing you can do, if you've never subscribed to Apple Arcade before, I think you get a free month when you do it, and that's plenty of time to play this game. If you have, it's just five bucks. Absolutely worth subscribing for a month to play this, and then play some other stuff like Ridiculous Fishing has come out on Apple Arcade that's getting rave reviews. Again, not sponsored. Yeah. (laughs) Again, not an ad. I I get no money for this. Um, I wanted to offer to pay for like the first five people who messaged y'all if they wanted five bucks for Apple Arcade for a month, but there are like legal things that we would need to handle. And so I'm not going to bother with that. So it's the thought that counts is what I'm going to say to everybody. Good intentions. Good intentions. Uh, Jess, did you have final thoughts on this game? I just love how symbolic and deeper that this video game is it's kind of it ties into kind of the theme that we talk about with books in general and revisiting things as adults that you might not have picked up when you were younger or you might not pick up when you're first um first exposure of things i mean even something as simple as when you're going through the hearts and there's different you know you have like different size hearts for different points it's just another symbol of literally going through the hearts you're going through the heart through the heartache through the pain it's all very symbolic and it's so much deeper and i mean that's also the podcast where we're like maybe we're just deep diving into something that that's not the intention at all but everything is very intentional in this game because even sam when you're breaking down where we are in the levels which tarot card that we're looking at in the levels those are all symbolic in which part of the journey the character is going through too totally really good points there well excellent well i would say sam thank you for being here this was very fun you are an excellent friend and colleague It's very kind of you. Happy birthday, friend and colleague. I'll see you at the water cooler. <laughs> TGIF, am I right? <laughs> Fellow worker and acquaintance. How about that weather? Oh, yeah, it's a hot one. <laughs> sport. Lots of, how is the sport Go over team. the weekend? Go sport. My goodness. 
My goodness. Well, happy birthday. And thank you, Sam. And if you loved this episode, then uh, let us know because editor Sam works hard on all of these. And feel free to follow the podcast. We're on Instagram, Akafe Podcast. And we're also both on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you all soon. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye. You're a menace. Stop it.